Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, team. I am glad to be able to worship with you today. Well, good morning, church. How are you? It's good to see you. I am glad that you braved the rain to come uh, and be with us today. Uh, and welcome. If you're a first-time guest here or first few times, we're so glad you've come and chosen to join with us this morning. Uh, hey, before we jump in uh, to our sermon for today, uh, I have some sad news to, to share with us. Uh, we got word this week that our brother in Christ, Mr. Cecil Haddock, uh, went home to be with the Lord uh, earlier this week. If you are a longtime member here at Double Oak, uh, you know Mr. Cecil. Uh, he would sit right over here uh, and hang out. Uh, and he's been doing that for years. Mr. Cecil was 96 years old uh, when he went to meet the Lord. Uh, and, and I'll tell you this, Mr. Cecil is somebody I emulate to be like. Well into his 90s, before they just started watching online, he's been on hospice for over a year. Every single time Mr. Cecil came into worship, and it would take him a little while uh, to get to his seat, he would, uh, he would always say, I'm just so grateful. I'm so thankful that I can think, I can speak, I can hear. He just wanted to be thankful to the Lord for all the gifts that God had given him. He was clearly struggling to get to his spot and was just thankful in all things. And he would also tell me about what he was learning. Deep into his 90s, he's saying, this is the book I'm reading, or this is what I'm learning in scripture. I'm so glad you pointed that out to me. He wanted to know more about his savior and said, I never stopped learning. Into his 90s, I pray to become a man like Mr. Cecil Haddock, who seeks after the Lord with all of his heart for all of his days and is a witness to us. His wife, Shirley, of 65 years, is still here with us. We get to walk with her in grief and mourning as we miss him, but we can all know for sure that we as believers are going to see him again. And that's absolutely the confidence that you have as well as his family. I have zero doubt about the celebration that Mr. Cecil is enjoying even as we speak. He was laid to rest in Monroeville where he spent a good portion of his life yesterday. But I want to make sure we had an opportunity just to celebrate his life together, but also to say a prayer for him. So, can can we do that now? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, I am thankful for my brother and for what you showed me through him and his life here with us. And Father, I am grateful that he gets to experience now full healing and joy. Uh, He is expressing his gratitude to you in person. And he has even more reasons to be grateful now as he experiences the fullness of salvation in you. And Lord, I am just so thankful that you have sent him here to be with us for so many years that we might enjoy him and be impacted by him. But now, Father, as we deal with his loss for a time, I pray a blessing upon his wife, Shirley, father's daughters, his family, his grandkids, great-grandkids, for all of us, Father. Lord, as we will be grieving his loss, we pray that you would comfort us and his family specifically comfort them. Lord, wrap your arms around them, remind them hourly and daily as we come to grips with a a new reality without a a husband, a father, a grandfather, a, a friend. Lord, would you be the one to remind us constantly that you will carry us, not simply through our grief, but you will carry us to the place where there will be a reunion one day in you. And for that, we are grateful. Lord, thank you for the life of my brother. And we are just, uh, we give you praise uh, for that. In your name we pray. And we all said, amen. Amen. 
Grab your Bibles now, if you will. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 15. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 is where we're going to be today. Uh, and as you are turning to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, uh, let me say Happy New Year. Glad that you are here with us and welcome. Um, I really want to thank Tom Cash. If you were here this past week, uh, you know why. Tom did an incredible job teaching us this past week. And if you were not here, and I know a lot of you weren't, uh, I really encourage you. You need to go back and not simply listen to the podcast. You need to watch it on Facebook. Uh, he had like, I don't know, like 4,000 slides. I and mean, there's a lot, right? But they help you understand everything. I mean, it is a, it is a, it is a wonder to behold and it will help you understand it. Go watch it. You will not be disappointed. It was astonishing. And Tom, I just really thank you, my friend, uh, for teaching us. I love it when you're up here. Uh, but listen, if you missed it, don't miss it. Make sure you go back, uh, and check that out. Uh, but look, it is a time of a new year. We got a fresh set of downs. We got 365. It's a, it's an opportunity for looking ahead. And I don't know if you do this, but every year I typically have a time where I, I kind of do a year in review. I, I look back and I read about where I was the year prior. Uh, I've, I'd written all that down and I kind of review it. And then I, I write about the current time that I'm in. And then I look ahead to say, what are some goals? What I want to look at? And that's very helpful for me to kind of, kind of see where am I going? What was happening then? What has God done? But also to have some idea about where we might be going. And that's helpful, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church. Uh, And as we look into this next year as Double O Community Church here at Mount Laurel... Uh, we've got a lot of things that we're going to do. I'm very excited about what uh, just some of the things that we're going to be preaching about and some of the things that the Lord is, is bringing to our attention is going to take us through. But there's one main thing I want to make sure that we're working on this year, that for all of us together, one main thing that we've really got to focus on, and it is this. We need to rebuild the community of our church. We need to rebuild the community of our church. Now, to help you understand why, I want you to do something for me. I want you to look around for a second, all right? So look around, turn, see all the other people near. Don't stare. That, you're, you're making it weird. Stop making it weird. All right, look, just look around, right? But like, look at the different people. Look around, see the different folks around. Uh, keep looking. No, you did, like the, you did like the glance. Like, look, right? Look around the room, right? And see the people who are here. Now, a couple things are happening in this moment. If you are a longtime member of Double Oak, you're seeing a lot of faces that you recognize. People that you know, that you've got history with, that you've spent life with, that that you've got relationship with. And that's very comforting for us. But you're also seeing a lot of new faces. And I mean a lot of new faces. There's a lot of faces you go, hey, I don't don't know that person. Is that their first week here? Their first year here? I, I don't know. There's a lot of new faces. Others of you might say, Adam, I am that new face. I am not a longtime member of Double Oak. I just started coming here. It might be your first week here. Welcome. I've been talking to people every week. You say, hey, Adam, it's my first week here. We've been here two, three weeks. We started just a couple months ago. But every time you walk in, you, you're kind of feeling like you're in that cafeteria on the first day of school. You're like, where do I sit? Right? You, you don't know. Like going, I don't know who these people are. Is there a place I got to be? What, what is this place about? I don't know my spot or my people. You still feel kind of like the new kid. And that, that's hard. That's uncomfortable. But, but listen, as we look around this congregation, I, I need you to understand something. Uh, I was talking to the staff a couple weeks ago, and I said, I said, just guessing, when you look around our church, how, what percentage of our church is different now than it was three years ago? 
And what we came up with, this is very unscientific, but what we came up with was this, between 40 and 60% of our church is new to, newer today than it was three years ago. 40 to 60% of our church is different today than it was three years ago. Now that's a lot of change, but don't let that scare you. That's happening everywhere. I talk to a ton of pastors. You're seeing this in almost every single church. But here's what that means. We are different than we were a few years ago. The relations that we had a few years ago, they have changed. You may have come from a place where you had some relationships and now you're starting from scratch. And so one of the main goals for us is going to be this. We've got to rebuild the community of our church. We've got to rebuild the relationships. We've got to rebuild the connections. We want to build close ties of love in Jesus Christ between the people of our church. Because this is not church. This is worship, right? We're doing right now. We are the church. And God is calling us to be connected to one another. So What I'm calling all of us to do is really make that commitment to say, Adam, over the course of this next year, I want to rebuild the community of our congregation. That's not a one-week fix. That's not a one-month fix. It's going to take us some time. But if we commit to it, we're going to see the Lord continue to knit us together and transform us for some brand new things he wants to do. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, Adam, that sounds great, but that sounds like a lot of work. So why? Why would I commit to that? Why would I commit to building relationships with these people? Adam, I, I talked to lots of people. I, I got social media. I got work. I got neighborhood. I got sports. I got stuff. Why would I take the time to commit to these particular people? Why is that important for me? And that's a fantastic question. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, it, it is because this is the way God's going to transform us and the world. The reason we ought to prioritize the relationships in our congregation is because this is the way that God has chosen to change us and to change the world. Let's do a little bit of history lesson. You and I, I pray, are believers. If you're in this room on a Sunday morning, it means that you are a believer in Jesus Christ or you are curious about Jesus Christ. You at least are trying to figure out what is this. But for most of us in the room, we would say, Adam, I believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God. I believe that I am a sinner. Or I have broken his will and his ways and I am lost because of that. But because God loves me, He sent his very son. Remember Romans 5, we just read it a moment ago. While we were weak and sinful because of God's love for me, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Not his sins, but our sins. And then three days later, he does the impossible. He rises from the grave. This is what we believe as Christians. That God conquered death in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And that anybody who puts faith in his name can have salvation. This is what we believe as Christians. But go back to that moment and realize Jesus Christ has just risen from the grave. He has done what no one else has ever done. This quite literally changed all of human history. It split it in two. We mark time by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But after he did that, what would Jesus do to change the world? If I've just done a world-shattering miracle, the miracle that can save everybody, well, I want to get the word out. Man, let's get the word out. Get on TV. You're God. You don't need a TV to get something on TV. Do miracles. Get the word out. Tell everybody that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. That makes sense, right? 
And that's what you see happen. The, 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 the apostles begin to speak the word of God. But instead of just creating evangelists, he tells his people, he says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. He ascends to heaven and says, stay in Jerusalem and wait, which is what they do. A couple hundred of them. And they stay in an upper room until weeks later, as they're praying, tongues of fire fall upon them. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just the apostles, mind you, but everybody, men and women, young and old, everybody. Holy Spirit falls upon them and they all begin preaching the gospel. All right, so far, so good. This makes sense. They're, they're speaking the gospel in different languages to all these people who had come in from all over the world. But what happens next? Look at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. And this is a familiar passage, but listen to what it says. In talking about these new Christians, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. 3,000 people get saved on day one. A couple thousand more will be added over the course of the next weeks and months. But look at what God does. He does not simply continue to create evangelists. What he does is he creates a community. He creates a group of people who live their life together, who share together, who, who do things together, who praise together, eat together, help one another. He creates a community. And what God is showing us is this. He goes, the way God is going to transform the world is through his people. We are the plan. He is going to build his kingdom through his gospel, through his people. And as this church begins to break all the borders, national borders, cultural borders, racial borders, economic borders, all the borders, the gospel begins to transform the world, crossing the planet as God's people build communities of faith everywhere. Why should we prioritize being a community of faith, building the relationships in this room is because this is God's plan for how he's going to change us and how he's going to change everybody. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks really trying to find out then, okay, then what kind of community should we build? If this is that important to the Lord, what is the kind of community that we need to build? There's three things we're going to look at over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, we need to be a biblical community. We are a loving community, and we are a serving community. So three things. We're a biblical community, we're a loving community, and we're a serving community. This is what we're going to have to work at continuing to become in our midst. This morning, we're going to look at being a biblical community. What does it mean for us to be a biblical community? Well, look back at verse 42 and notice what it says there. In Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Right off the bat, the first thing that this community does is this. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. All right, why? Why would they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, recognize there is no New Testament at this point. There is no Acts. There is no Colossians. There is no Revelation. There is no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
There is no New Testament. They've got the Old Testament. But if they want to understand the teachings of Jesus, the only thing they have are the apostles. They are the living scriptures to them. And so they rally around them. They said, tell us what Jesus said. Tell us what Jesus taught you. So the apostles are teaching them the words of Jesus. And you might say, okay, well then do we know what that teaching is? What is the apostles teaching? And if you have a physical copy of God's word, you're holding it in your hand. This is the apostles teaching. When you look at the New Testament, this is the apostles teaching. They finally wrote it down and they passed it down and the church codified it. I don't have time this morning to get into all the history of the canonization of the New Testament. But suffice it to say, the Lord made sure these are God's words. And he codified them and passed them down. What you have in your hand, you can be confident of. We have thousands upon thousands of manuscripts. We have the history of the church. What you and I hold in our hands as the New Testament are the teachings of the apostles. The very same things that they were gathering around and rallying around there in the temple and in their homes in these first days. This is the teaching of the apostles. And if we are to be a biblical community, we must be a people of the book. We must be a people of God's word. Why? Well, first off, because Jesus's words are life. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking to some people who have some questions uh, about this. John 6. Here's what he says. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. There's some of you who don't believe. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, when I give you this teaching, it's not simply helpful. It's not just encouraging. The words that I give you, the teaching that I give you, this is life itself. It will transform you. I am coming to give you the words of life itself. Why should we focus on the words of Jesus Christ? Because these words are living and active. They are the very words of God. In fact, that's the second reason we need to become a people of the book. Because the Bible is God's word. Look at 2 Timothy. Notice what it says here. Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, if you're a Christian or you grew up in a Christian home, you've probably heard this before. The Bible is God's word. But let's slow that down for just a second and, and really think about that for a second. The Bible is God's word. The Bible are the very words of the God of the universe. The Bible are the words of the God who created existence. If we actually believe that these are the very words of God, well, then we should focus on these words more than all others, should we not? Should we not elevate these words above everything in our lives? If this is the inspired word of God. Which P.S. This is why I also encourage you to have a physical copy of God's word. Uh, I hope that you do. I love it when I hear all your pages flapping around. He said, Adam, we are living in a digital age. We're 24th century people. How come I got to have a physical copy? Well, you don't. You can have it on your phone. I got one too. But, but there's, there's a reason why it's, it's helpful To have a physical copy. Because I don't know about you, but this is the only leather-bound book I own. You? 
Like, I don't have just a whole library of leather-bound books and a library of rich mahogany. I don't have that, right? I, I just got this. Because this book is different than all the other books in my library. The words in this book are different from everything else you read. If all you're doing is reading the Bible on your screen, do you realize that you read thousands upon thousands of words? You read emails and sports scores and everything else in that same little window. How are you marking these words out as different, as more important than all those other words? Do we truly recognize that this is the very word of God? We ought to be people of the book because the Bible is God's word. Here's the third reason this is so important, because this is how the Holy Spirit teaches us. This word is how the Holy Spirit teaches us. Now let's go to John 14 and look what it says here. Verses 25 and 26, Jesus speaking again. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is about to physically leave the apostles. They cannot listen with their ears to him anymore. But Jesus isn't just leaving. He is sending the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit going to do? Remind them of all of Jesus' teachings. Teach them, remind them of the very words of God. When we talk about being a people of the book, you need to understand, we don't simply want to be knowledgeable or smart. Uh, We don't simply want to be aware of scripture. Guys, when you and I read God's word, the Holy Spirit changes us. He speaks through his word. If you're having trouble hearing the voice of God, I have a really easy way to figure that out. Read his word. Because the Holy Spirit works through scripture to help us. We don't simply want to learn about God when we read the Bible. We experience God through the Holy Spirit as we read his word. And so we need this word. We need to focus on this word. We need to be uh, literally formed and shaped by his word. There is no substitute for the word of God in our lives. I've been reading a devotional for the past couple of months by a, a prominent Puritan named John Owen. It was really good. It's called Communion with God. And at the end, he makes this comment. He, he says, that if we are a church that does not base our lives upon the word of God, we run the risk of the heresy of denying that Jesus has come in the flesh. If we believe that Jesus came in the flesh, if we believe that he's the son of God, if we believe that he spoke, And yet we do not read these words. We do not live in these words. We are basically denying that he actually came in the flesh. If we are to be a Christian community, a community that is defined by our faith in Jesus Christ, we must be people of his word. We must be a biblical community. Which gets us finally to Colossians chapter 3. And if you've got a copy of God's word, that's where I told you to start. You said, Adam, I thought we were going there first. But here we are. Uh, I have you there in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 15. Um, because I want you to underline a verse. Which, P.S., y'all may have noticed this. Uh, I almost never put the main passage up on the screen. Have you noticed that? It bugs some of you, I know. Um, which, am I going to change? No. Um, here's why. I actually want to bug you enough to get a copy of God's word that you are working with on your own. You need to learn how to deal with the Bible on your own. And so I put a lot of scriptures up there. I'm never going to put the main one up there. I want you to have a copy of God's word. If you don't have one, we'll help you get one. There is an app. You can use that if if you don't have one right now. But you need to learn how to interact with God's word. So here we are, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 15. Uh, we're, we're, We're years away from Acts 2 now, from that very first community. 
God, I got to scatter the people and, and new churches have formed in, in places that are so far away from Jerusalem. But listen to what Paul says. In talking to the church at Colossae, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, now look back at verse 16, and you ought to underline this one. This is one you ought to memorize. We ought to really meditate on. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen to that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's break that down. First off, this is the word of Christ. It's not just random teaching. These are the words of Jesus Christ. These are the very words of the Son of God. These words ought to dwell in us. That word means to inhabit. It means to live in. It means that we are to immerse ourselves in them. Scripture should not be something that we glance at occasionally. Instead, it ought to be the very air that we breathe. We find ourselves comfortable in the the words, the stories, the life of Scripture. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly. You have a wealth of things to study, a wealth of things to learn. Let it dwell in us richly when it says dwell in you. That word you there is plural. He's not simply speaking to us as individuals. He's speaking to us as a church. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. If we are to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, he says, I want this to dwell in you richly. If we are to be the kind of church, the kind of community that God wants us to be, we must be a biblical community. We must be shaped by, defined by, formed by, guided by the very word of God. This defines who we are. John Stott, who is a uh, a prominent theologian of the uh, 20th century, uh, just used by God in so many different ways. Listen to what he says in talking about this. Since the teaching of the apostles has come down to us in its definitive form in the New Testament, contemporary devotion to the apostles' teaching will mean submission to the authority of the New Testament. Let that sink in. Submission to the authority of the New Testament. A spirit-filled church is a New Testament church in the sense that it studies and submits to New Testament instruction. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. That's the kind of church we want to be. We're not just here hanging out. We're not just here to build a crowd. God is calling us to be a biblical community. And guys, I need your help if that's what we're going to continue to form. This is not the kind of thing you can rely on me for solely. I'm going to do my part from the platform, but that's not the only way that we become a biblical community. We all have to make this choice in how we interact with one another and how we encourage one another and the things that we do and emphasize. This is something that we all have to choose to do, choose to value together. And I need your help on this. Whether you are new or you've been here for years, the way we will live and act and speak will determine whether we become a biblical community or not. And please understand that's important because if you don't choose to do that, if we don't choose this as our foundation, we will inadvertently choose something else. Something will become the foundation of our church. 
Something will bind us together. And if we do not choose to be a biblical community, we will choose something else instead. It's a very subtle danger. And it's happened to churches larger or better than ours. You got to be alive to it. What are some of the other ways that you could build a church? What, what else, by, Adam, by, besides the Bible, would you rally around? There's actually quite a lot of different options. Instead of building your church on the word of God, you can build it on an issue. You can decide as a church to say, hey, here's this one issue. And this is the one thing that defines us. This is the one thing that we're passionate about. This is the one thing that matters more than anything. And instead of really focusing on life in Christ, all we really end up talking about or the majority of things we talk about is just this one issue. You ever seen this happen? You see this happen a lot in liberal leaning churches. It usually happens with a social justice issue where we take an issue and we say, this is the only thing that matters. We'll get to Jesus, but this is the only thing that matters. Everything that about us is going to be defined by this one issue, even if the issue is a good one. They said, Adam, this is the only thing, even to the exclusion of an actual life in Jesus Christ. They stop being a church of Christ. They start being a church of this issue. But it's not just liberal-leaning churches that do that, is it? Conservative churches do this just as much. You've watched this happen over the past five to 10 years where a lot of conservative churches somehow have gotten it into their heads that the number one thing we're supposed to be about as a church of Jesus Christ is politics. As if Jesus Christ called us to seek after political power above all, as if that was the most important, as if that would change the world. And what started as faith in Jesus Christ actually starts turning into, no, we've got to fight for this issue. We've got to fight for this cause above all. All and Jesus gets shoved to the side. It can happen. It's actually been happening for a long time. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually talked about this well over 70 years ago uh, in his book, The Screwtape Letters. Some of y'all may know this book. Uh, it's a funny book. Uh, it's a, an instruction manual for demons. I know it doesn't sound funny, but it is. Uh, it's like, what would it be like if you could kind of read the correspondence between demons talking to each other about how do we tempt these humans? How do we get them away from Jesus Christ? And so in the book, the mentor is trying to instruct a young person and, and the person he's trying to tempt, the human, um, has found himself in the middle of a war. It's World War II. And they ask a question. They said, okay, so what's better for drawing him away from Jesus? Should we make him an extreme patriot or make him an extreme pacifist? Which one is better for drawing them away from Christ. And, and the mentor says this, doesn't matter. Pick one. As long as they just care about that issue more than they care about Jesus. Look what he says. He says, let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which his religion merely becomes part of the cause. In which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can provide in favor of the war effort or of pacifism. Once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. It doesn't matter if you're a liberal, a conservative, or anywhere in between. If you start valuing a cause more than you value Jesus, we're lost. So we don't base ourselves on an issue good as those issues may be, we base ourselves on the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Secondly, uh, you can build a church on a personality. Sometimes churches just kind of gather around a charismatic personality. Somebody with a lot of talent and a lot of charisma, and all of a sudden they just come in to grab a crowd, an even larger crowd, and, and now everything, instead of becoming about Jesus, really becomes a part of that person. 
You know you're in danger if you can't imagine your church without that person being there. If you take this one person out, would it all simply fall apart? Now, look, uh, churches are always going to, in many ways, reflect uh, the personality of the pastor, especially if a long-tenured pastor. That, in some way, can't help but happen. But if everything is dependent on that one person, we have stopped becoming a church of Jesus Christ, and we've now become the church of a cult of personality. That's dangerous. Even though it can be fun and exciting and, and charismatic, there is no person who can save you, save Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, I, I, I love that you're here. I love being here. I plan on being here a long, long time, unless the Lord says differently. But you can live without me. You know that, right? You really can't. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not planning to go anywhere. But you can live without me because the church is bigger than one person. Furthermore, I, I appreciate the respect, but please understand this. I am absolutely fallible. I hope you double check me. Now, look, look, listen, I think all my opinions are correct. I really do, right? I don't know why you people don't get on board with that, right? It'd be so much easier. It would. And you're going, well, he's not. My, my opinions are correct, right? No, wait a minute. Guess what? We're both wrong. Because all of my opinions are not correct. All of your opinions aren't correct. There's only one person who can say that. His name is Jesus Christ. And so you don't need my opinions and I don't need yours. What we need is the word of God. Which is why I do my best to say very first thing, hey, let's open up our Bibles and look here. And look, I can't even claim I'm going to get that 100% right. I am doing my best. Nobody can get this 100% right. But when you and I say, I want the Lord to guide us through his word, we're going to be doing pretty good. But you can check me with scripture. I'll check you with scripture. But he rules above all. Don't build your church on a personality. Thirdly, you can't build a church on a culture. There's a temptation to build a church on a culture. To where you say, Adam, I, I just like things a certain way. I think they should be like this. Now, it's a truism that like people like hanging out together, right? That's typically what happens. We typically hang out with people who are like us. That's just normal. And there's nothing wrong with that. That just happens. The problem can come in, though, when you begin to all hang out together and do things a very particular way and assume that this is the only way or the best way of doing things. And instead of really being about the Lord and life in him and his word, we have added on to that a very particular culture. I lived through this at the end of the 20th century through the worship wars. Do we have any veterans of the worship wars here today? Uh, I'm a veteran of the worship war. Most of you probably are too. If you don't remember these, this is what happened. When we all went to blows as to which worship style was better. Was it traditional or contemporary? Remember this. There was the contemporary wing. It's all hymns. The hymnal that you hold in your hand are these screens, right? You got to keep them right there in your hand. The old songs, the good songs, the songs that have been here forever. On the other side of the camp, you had the contemporary folk. They were crazy. They used screens and books and they put drums on stage. You can't do that. That's not traditional. Meanwhile, the contemporary folks says, that's old fashioned, man. That's just dead. You, you got to have some new life in there. There's no, we got to move on from the old stuff. And everybody was just at blows as to which you should do as if one of those was right. And one of those was wrong. God can use any type of song style he chooses. It was weird. We kept arguing about how we sang the songs instead of what those songs were about. Instead of the worship and the praise that we were given to the Lord. Have you noticed here that we did both contemporary and traditional songs here this morning? We typically do that. Because it's not about one type or style or culture. 
We've got to be able to say, hey, God can move in lots of different ways. What's most important is that these things are coming from the word. They are coming from a heart that seeks to praise the Lord. But we cannot say our particular culture is the only way of doing things. And finally, you can build a church on comfort. You can say, Adam, I just want a church where everything is exactly how I want it. I want to be a church that makes me feel good. I want to make a church that doesn't step on my toes. I want to come in. I want to have coffee. I want to have a cushy seat. I want my seat, by the way. Get out of my seat. That's my seat. I'm going to sit in my seat. I'm going to have my coffee. I don't want to feel guilted at all, right? So don't talk to me about sin. This is the Joel Osteen method, by the way. Don't offend me. Don't bother me. Don't make me feel uncomfortable. Just tell me I'm great. And tell me how awesome I am. And tell me that God loves me. God does love you. He also says you're a sinner. You can't simply hear that you're a sinner. You can't simply hear that God loves you. You need to hear that you're a sinner and God loves you. And if you live in the world that God creates, the community that he creates, I hate to tell you this, sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. To live in a community of faith with real human beings is uncomfortable. I'll get to a little bit of that next week. But this is real life with real people. And look, if you listen to the word of God, the Lord is going to encourage you. He is going to comfort you. He's going to love you and build you up. He's also going to challenge you. There ought to be weeks you walk out of here with your toes stepped on. The spirit steps on my toes before he steps on yours. I, I got to write these things. I, I got to hear it first. He's stepping on my toes too. But if you're in a church of Jesus Christ, there's going to be times you go, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and I must change. Why? Because I submit not to a person. I submit to the authority of the New Testament and to the word of God through his spirit as he teaches and trains me. And so we can't build a church just on comfort the way we want it. You got to say, no, I'm going to be in the place that is built upon the word of God. And so what would that look like? How, how do we do that over the course of this year and the years to come? How do we actually do that? Go back to uh, Colossians 3.16. And hopefully you've got it underlined there, but listen to what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's break that down and look at all the pieces of that. So first off, uh, let the word of God dwell within you richly. If we are to be a community that is biblical, a a people of the book, a people based on God's word, well, we've got to immerse ourselves in the word of God. The word of God needs to dwell in us richly. It begs the question, which words are you dwelling in richly? Because we're already doing that. We dwell in a sea of words. Way back in 2008, and this is an old study, this is right at the beginning of the iPhone revolution, but way back in 2008, uh, there was a study done by some folks at UC Berkeley in California. They said this, that the average person is exposed to close to 100,000 words a day. 100,000 words a day. That's what we hear, that's what we read, that's what we see, that's what we're exposed to. That was before we had our phones plastered to our faces. Think about all the words that you and I see in today. If you translated all of those words into the biblical words, you would read the Bible every single week. That's enough words to cover the whole Bible, Old Testament included, in a week, not a year, a week. We are swimming in words. We are immersed in words. The question is, are we dwelling in the right kinds of words? It might be that you say, need to say, Adam, I'm swimming in news, or I'm swimming in, in entertainment. I'm swimming in Netflix. I'm, I'm swimming in podcasts. And maybe I need to reduce some of those down and say, hey, I want to swim in the very word of God. 
I want to immerse myself in the word of God. You don't have to only read these words, but we could, we could shift the balance, could we not? Which this is also why some of us just started a new uh, Bible in a year plan, right? I was going to ask you, raise your hand. I won't make you do that, okay? I wonder how many of us decided to say, hey, I'm doing it. I'm doing it again. I'm doing a Bible in a year plan. I've done many of these in my life. And if you are, praise the Lord. I I pray it goes well for you. Uh, These are great plans. They're helpful plans. If you like structure, it can help you with structure. Uh, but there is a, there's a wicked backside to these Bible and a year plans. And it's this, almost nobody completes them. And, and what happens is, is you get behind because we're all going to get behind. And instead of pressing on, you just quit because the guilt is so bad. You're like, well, if I get in, I was, the Lord's going to tell me you've been gone for like 44 days. Right. And you're like, I don't want that guilt. So I'm just, we'll just make a 45. Right. And you move along and you just stop reading. Please don't do that. How about this? Don't decide to read the Bible in a year. Just don't. You do not have to decide to read the Bible in a year. Just don't. Stop making that decision. Make this one instead. Just decide to read the Bible every day. That's it. If it takes you a year, great. Two years, fine. Three years, cool. Just decide to read the Bible every day. And if you miss a day, it doesn't matter. Start the next one. Okay, I did that, but I missed the next day. Fine. Read the next one. Just decide to read the Bible. I was talking to one of our students this week, and I said, man, when I was 16 years old, I just decided I want to read a chapter of the Bible a day. I can't tell you how many times I read the Bible by just reading a chapter of the Bible a day. What would happen if we made a commitment to say, man, I want the word of God to dwell in me richly. It it can be hard to get started, but the more you immerse yourself in, you're going to see more. God's going to teach you more. You're going to experience him more. But this starts with us saying we want to be individuals of the book so that we can be a community of the book. That God's word dwells in us richly. Can we choose to say, I want to live in him today? Here's the second thing. It says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay, that wisdom here is not personal wisdom. Uh, This is not a specific wisdom from us. This is biblical wisdom. So we're supposed to teach and admonish one another. Notice it doesn't say just from the pastor or just from the apostles. He's saying, no, 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 all of us. We're supposed to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. How do we do that? Well, we've got lots of different ways. First off, you can join a community group. When you join a community group, you're going to be start hanging out with people who are talking about the Bible, people just like you. And you can say, hey, let, let's talk about this. I was in a community group this past Wednesday where we opened up the Bible and just talked about it. And so what, what is God showing you in this? How do we understand this? How do we apply this? And you need some other brothers and sisters to walk alongside and say, hey, let's let's wrestle with scripture together. We got Double Oak University starting off in in about a month. Wednesday night classes, short-term classes where you can really deepen your understanding of the word so you can grow. If you take a lot of these over years, imagine the kind of depth and understanding that's going to open up and how you can help other people with this. Furthermore, there's Bible studies. We got a ton of women's Bible studies out here. Most of those Bible studies are just studying scripture in some way, shape, or form. Tons of them. There's a men's Bible study right out here. You can sign up for today. And say, I want to join in with some ladies, uh, some men, and say, I want to, I want to really dive into God's word. Well, you got opportunities to do that. Don't, don't say I don't have time. Make the time so that we immerse ourselves in God's word. You've got these opportunities. One-on-one communication. I wonder if it's normal for us to speak scripture to one another. Is it normal for us to speak scripture to one another? Because I I have a fear that for some of us, that feels weird, right? 
You ever feel weird? I should text a Bible verse, right? Does it, does it feel weird to you to say in a conversation, you know, that reminds me of something in scripture. Remember that verse? It says this, does that feel weird to you? Because if it does, that's a problem. It should never feel weird for us to share scripture with one another. It should never feel weird for us to say, man, I was praying for somebody this morning and God brought a scripture to mind. Hey, I'm just going to text him. Hey, man, I was praying for you. This is the, the, the word that I, I was just, or the scripture that I, I thought about when I was praying for you today. Or in your conversation, something comes up. Hey, man, you know there's a verse about this. Let's look it up real quick and, and see what it says. Do, do you see that there? Are we in the habit of sharing God's word? This is how you become a biblical community. It's when we are constantly, we make it normal to share God's word one to another. You can't do that, though, unless you are reading it in the first place. And then thirdly, notice what he says there, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I love this. First off, notice the diversity there. Not just one type of song. There's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's a lot of diversity in how you can sing and what you're going to sing. But we sing songs because those songs encourage us. Those songs are scriptural. Did you see what Stephen did earlier in the service where he was showing us some of the scriptures where these song lyrics came from. They weren't just cool tunes. They're they're being built off of the scriptures. Furthermore, it's important to hear us singing with one another. Not just to hear Stephen sing, but that we get to hear each other sing. You're in a community of faith. I'm not simply hearing what they think up on a platform. No, what we believe as a church, and we sing it out. We connect our hearts with these words, these truths, with our experience, and we lift it up to the Lord. We encourage one another as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that are informed by the very words of God himself. This is the way we craft and cultivate and create a biblical community. When we live in the words of Jesus Christ, when we become the type of community that immerses ourselves in God's word, we cannot fail to be a spirit-filled church that will listen to him, be transformed by him, and God will continue to do the supernatural through us. What if we made the commitment to become a biblical community? So do this one. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. We're going to sing a song where we're going to get to declare that out loud here in a minute. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, look, we're, we're all over the map with this. Some of us here in the room, you say, Adam, I, I do that. That is natural for me. I, I talk about uh, the Lord constantly through his word. I encourage people through his word. I read his word. Some of us are struggling with that. Maybe you say, Adam, I used to do that, but, but I haven't in a while. Or I'm trying to do that, but, but it's not as easy as I'd like. And then others of us are, might be saying, Adam, I, I've never done that. I don't even know what that would look like. And it's okay to be in all those places. But if God has called you here to this church at this time, he's giving us an opportunity together, these particular people at this point in time to be his biblical community. What would it look like for us to take a step forward in that direction? What would it look like for you to take a step forward in that direction? Not, not your, your husband, your wife, not, not your kids, but for you, what would it look like for you to help cultivate in yourself and in others a biblical community and see what God says? And then let's try it. Ain't gotta be perfect. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We can try it.
and say, God, would you show us how to be a biblical community? Just a moment, we're going to sing a song where we're going to get to declare what we together believe as a church. I hope you'll hear not just the words of the song. I hope you'll not just sing them, but I hope you'll hear your brothers and sisters and recognize you're not alone. God has put us in this together. Let's follow him in that. So Lord, thank you. I thank you that you didn't just shout from heaven and, and expect us to figure it out. I'm so thankful you didn't just ascend and wait for us at the finish line. But instead you gave us your word. Written by your Holy Spirit, inspired by your Holy Spirit. God, you still speak to us through your word, by the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, can you help us to be that biblical community, devoted to your teaching? And would you change us? Convict us where you have to, strengthen us where we need it, encourage us where, where we, we, we must have it. But Lord, could you help us to be your people built on your words? And Lord, we pray that you would change us, mold us, shape us, that others would not fail to see you when they come and hang out in our midst. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this people. Thank you for the church that you're creating right now at this time in this season. And God, I cannot wait to see what you're going to do through us. In your name we pray. Amen.